0: Let me get you to open your Bibles to the 6th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because uh, their... uh, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, the Hellenists, these would have been Jewish people, but they had adapted to Greek society. Uh, they couldn't speak the old language. They didn't observe all the things that the Jews had traditionally done. So what we're seeing is that there was a little division in the church right there. One group really was seemingly ignoring another group. So... The widows were being neglected. The Hellenistic widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. Verse 2, And the twelve, that's the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word." And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I don't know whether you're familiar with this name or not, but this is a name that takes us back to the, through the 20s and the 30s, uh, but there was a, a man who became a senior captain of the Texas Ranger sometime well after the 30s. His name was Clint Peoples, and a rather colorful, colorful person after he retired from the Ranger service, he went on to uh, be a U.S. Uh, marshal. In this particular in, in Texas, I forgot what the region was, and also he became uh, he was good fodder for the TV. He was a good-looking guy and he was a rather colorful person anyway. But he started his law enforcement career in Montgomery County, Conroe, if, they, if you, that helps you to zero in on that. And it was in 1930. The sheriff there in Montgomery County was a man named Ben Hicks. Now this was the way things used to be done. Clint Peoples wanted to be a lawman. Ben Hicks needed another law, he needed another deputy. He wanted to have two deputies there in Montgomery County. It wasn't that populated back then, mostly to deal with bootleggers and things like that. And so he swore in Clint Peoples to be a deputy. It was Peoples' first job in law enforcement. He went to no academy. He did not go to a junior college and major in criminal justice. He didn't do any of that type of stuff. All he did was he held up his hand and took an oath. And then he asked Sheriff Sheriff Hicks, he said, well, what am I supposed to do? (laughs) Sheriff Hicks roared at him. He said, enforce the law. (laughs) And he said, well, how do I go about doing that? (laughs) Sheriff Hicks said, it'll come. (laughs) And that was the way he learned what to do. Oh, by the way, he did give him one good piece of advice a little bit later. He said, son, you can take this pistol you have the authority to wear now and you can make a great man of yourself or you can make the biggest fool of yourself that any man's ever made. Never get to where you feel that pistol on your hip. Pretty good piece of advice right there. What am I supposed to do? And then how am I supposed to go about doing it? Well, we're going to ordain some deacons today. We had kind of narrowed the field down to one deacon there for a while. Brother Rob, he was the lone deacon, and he didn't have Tonto even to help him out on that. And he worked hard trying to keep up with the things that needed to be done. And uh, we decided it was time to get some more deacons. There were two men already serving in our church, or already in our church, who had just not been recognized as ordained deacons, Jim Davis, and, and then, of course, Victor Rodriguez. And they had served before as ordained deacons in other churches And so, but we had three others that we are going to ordain today. And sometimes someone might say, well, what is a deacon is supposed to do? And how is he supposed to go about doing it? And that's what we're going to talk about today. And first of all, I want you to understand this is deacons have been an important part of church life from the very beginning. And down at the bottom line, what a deacon is, is that he is a servant and he ministers to the needs of various church members. Deacons are leaders in that they should take the lead in visiting and caring for the widows and the needy within the church body. That's what they are supposed to do, okay? But how do they go about doing it? That's the question. Of course, we have passages in the the Scripture that give us some guidelines. 1 Timothy chapter 3, that's talking about bishops or pastors and deacons and what their qualifications should be. Uh, One of my favorite passages, though, to look at is on Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, because it talks about this in which we see this issue in the church in which there was some strained relationships between two factions in the church. And... And so what the, the apostles told the whole congregation to do, he said, you choose seven men from among you. And he gave them the qualifications that they should be looking for. They should be men of good repute. In other words, to have a good re- reputation, not only among the church body, but those outside the body of Christ. They need to be men of good repute. They need to be full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. I want us to focus on this particular idea about being full of wisdom. Understand this, when it talks about being full of the Holy Spirit, what does that mean? Well, a lot of times we overlook what it's really talking about. Being filled with the Spirit has to do with who's in control of your life. Whenever you read in Ephesians, there's that little passage in there that says, Do not be filled with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. That gives us an idea of what it means to be full of the Spirit. When you're filled with wine, you're drunk as Cooter Brown and you are not in control of your life and what is controlling you is your wine. Whenever you are filled with the Spirit, you're not running the show in your own life. You are seeking the Spirit to fully control you. And so whenever you talk about, whenever they said to get, find men that were full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, what it was saying is you find seven men who are fully controlled by the Holy Spirit. You find seven men who are fully controlled by wisdom. In other words, there is this wisdom that drives them. So how do they find that wisdom? Now we know what they're supposed to be. What are they, how are they supposed to do this? How are they going to get this? Well, first of all, we need to realize the need for wisdom. And this is something that, uh, you know, Joe Maddox, he read from uh, Proverbs chapter 4. And there was the mandate in there, it says, with all by getting, get wisdom. Wisdom is the principal thing. So, we need it. If God's Word says that it's the principal thing, we need to make it a principal thing in our life. Remember, when it comes to the ground rules of Christian living, we don't get to make them up. God is the one who brings them to us. Now, but another thing is this, is you see this in James, which has a little bit of an affinity with wisdom literature. In James chapter... One, look at verse, we'll just start with verse two. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then in verse five says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now, in the language that, James wrote with. There's more than one way to say if such and such. Sometimes we can just say, well, you know, if I get a raise at work, I'm going to go out and buy me a new pickup. Knowing full well that you probably won't get a raise at work. It's an if. It's an if that might happen, but maybe it probably won't. There are ifs that, you know, kind of a 50-50 thing. That's not the kind of an if we see that James is using here. when he says, "If any of you lacks wisdom and you do," And that's basically what he's saying. We need the wisdom that it's talking about here. We need this divine type of wisdom. We all do. There are going to be situations in which you don't know how to react. There's going to be situations in which you don't know which way to turn. Because you're scratching your head and you just really don't know how to deal with things. We need this wisdom. By the way, this wisdom does not come natural to us. And that's the reason that we need it. So we look at this. So let's look at the character The character of wisdom. is First of all, let's talk about what wisdom is not. What is he talking about here? As a matter of fact, first of all, let's just kind of read here from the scripture again. In James chapter 3, we see this. It says, matter of fact, I will go on and uh, start with verse 13 of James chapter 3. He says, Who is wise in understanding among you? Wisdom. Who has this wisdom? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. See what the character of wisdom is, and we see what the character of, of wisdom is not. First of all, understand this. Wisdom is not cleverness. It's not knowing how to get things done your way and always get things done your way. In other words, wisdom does not mean that you're a manipulator. Wisdom is not shrewdness in business and knowing how to make an, a quick buck before anybody else does. Just because you're a good businessman and a shrewd businessman and you've, you know, you turn a profit in your company that you have and you turn a big fat profit, that doesn't really mean that you have the wisdom that we need to do God's work. Wisdom is not about being highly educated. Now, I have no problem. As a matter of fact, I think that people should get as much education as they should, as they can. But that is not what makes you wise. Folks, you can have more degrees than a thermometer and have no wisdom at all and be a darn fool. You see what he's talking about? You can go to school for longer than I've been alive and still not gain this wisdom that we're talking about. I'll tell you something else, and that may be a little surprising to you. Wisdom is not even knowing much about what is written in the Bible. Really. Once again, you can know all kinds of verses in the Bible and be able to rattle them off. You may be able to tell us all about biblical backgrounds or or biblical languages. You may know Greek. You may know Hebrew and Shebrew and homebrew, but that doesn't mean that you are wise. See what we're saying? You can be a fool and know about things that are in the Bible. What is wisdom then? Well, let me, I'll try to sum it up this way. Wisdom is knowing how to live a God-pleasing life in a fallen world. I think that's about the best way that I can can, uh, boil it down to. Real wisdom that we're talking about is not something that we manufacture It's not something that you're born with. Real wisdom comes down from above, meaning the kind of wisdom that enables us to live a God-pleasing life in a fallen world is wisdom that comes from God. And you can't learn it in any school. Real wisdom comes from above. Let's look at some of the little ways that James describes it here. First of all, real wisdom is pure. That's what it says in... uh, is in, in verse 17. And by purity, what it means, it has to do with the purity of life. It has to do with a life that is presentable to God and that you're glad to present your life to God really kind of is a living sacrifice. You know, if, put it this way, once again, if if there is someone that is very important to you, let's say, I really never met a whole lot of super important people, but... uh Let's just, I did meet a former Texas governor, Dolph Briscoe, and did. I got to, I was pastor of a church where his wife came every Sunday, and, 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 you know, Dolph Briscoe was an important man in some areas, he really was. Well, let's just say that I decided I want to have them come over for supper one night, and just call him up and say, Dolph, old partner, why don't you come over to my house for supper? We're gonna have something good to eat, and whenever he gets there, I crack open a can of Vianney sausage. That's really not gonna be something that's gonna be very pleasing to him. Because I, found, I know what he liked to eat. He liked to eat ribeye steak. He didn't care for being a sausage. <laughs> you know, whenever we have something that we want to offer to God, we don't want to offer trash to God. We want to offer to him what is our best. And that's wisdom. The wisdom that comes from above is pure because it's something that, it's, it, it indicates a life that is, that is worthy of being given to God and turned over to him. The wisdom that's from above is peaceful. In other words, it does start fights. The wisdom that comes from above is gentle. I really kind of like this word right here. It has to do with being reasonable, fair-minded. It, it refers to a maturity in life, which prevents a person from being a stickler for his own rights, it's something that allows one in a dispute to look objectively at his own position and even take sides against himself when he sees that he's wrong. Now, folks, it's pretty, that's a pretty rare type of wisdom, but that is the wisdom that God calls upon us to lay claim to. Wisdom is something that, that is going to be uh, easily entreated, it is going to be reasonable, it's going to be fair minded. Uh, in here, it talks about <clears throat> uh, some, something that is open to reason. This type of wisdom is telling us that it's easy to be entreated. This kind of wisdom is causes us to be easy, easy to yield, causes us to be reasonable, causes us to be submissive. Here's a way that we can look at it. This kind of wisdom means this: is that it's a gentleness that belongs to the person who does not consider persuasion a one-way street. This type of wisdom is also merciful, and it also is without partiality. You're not going to treat one person different from another. And isn't it so easy to cater to those who seem to be a little smarter, a little more powerful, who drive a better car uh, than it is to deal with someone that's driving around in a, you know, like a 1975 Ford Pinto that drinks about a quarter of oil a week, and they live in an old shotgun shack. And I remember one time that there was a church where I served, and there was a retired preacher in there. He had nice clothes. He had a nice car. He had a nice house. And there was a family that, that started coming. And these folks were just... I mean, these folks were from so deep in the Texas Hill Country that their breath smelled like, you know, cedar post. And uh, they were good people, though, and they were hardworking people, and they were gracious people, the only people I ever knew that actually cultivated poke salad in their garden, but they did, and, and you know, and they were just nice folks, but I remember when that, Rich, retired preacher saw them pull up. He said, I don't really think they're our kind of folks. Well, I think they are. I know one thing. They lived out their faith better than he did. I know that. See, real wisdom does not allow us to be partial, show partiality. And how do we get it? So that's what we're supposed to do. Well, how how do we do it? Well, remember that verse we read from James at the beginning. If anyone lacks wisdom... Let him do what? Ask of God. Now think about it. Scripture says in one place, if we ask anything according to his will, he will do it. Well, guess what? Asking God for wisdom, this is according to his will. All right? You don't have to wonder about that. Don't ask anybody else any questions whether or not it's his will for you to ask for wisdom. Do it. Because it says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask from God. And when he gives you wisdom, he will not be chintzy with it. He gives it generously. Asking. And here's another one. There's something, though, that you have to do. Because being filled with wisdom accompanies being filled with the Spirit. You look in Galatians chapter 5, verse 20, and you read about the fruit of the Spirit. It's interesting that the fruit of the Spirit is a lot like the fruit of wisdom. Whenever you are filled with the Spirit, you're going to be filled with the wisdom that comes from God. Now, this is something that is especially for those whom we are going to ordain in just a very few short moments. This is for them. And gentlemen, we want you to be guided by wisdom. We want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit and with wisdom we want you to do your job and to do it well. And knowing you, as I've gotten to know you during the short time I've been with you, I believe that that's what y'all are going to do. And, uh, and, I've, and so I urge you to do that. And I urge you, based on the word of God, and I charge you with this, is I want you to lead and lead by example. I want you to serve as role models in this church I want you to promote unity. I want you to know the Lord and be able to tell other people how to do the same thing. And I want you to serve with the wisdom that comes from above.